0: Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the Scriptures. Yeah,
1: we love them.
0: This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for August 8th through 14th, 2022. This is covering Psalms 1 to 2, 8, 19 through 33, 40, and 46. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the Scriptures. Yay! Hello,
1: Scriptures. You're almost lyrical today.
0: Indeed, quite musical. And now let's consult the scripture matic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 41 minutes, 44 seconds.
1: But what would that be
0: daily? 5 minutes, 57 seconds.
1: Yeah, so easy. But what if we wanted to read all 48 Psalms?
0: Well, that would take 1 hour, 46 minutes, 51 seconds. And daily? 15 minutes, 15 seconds.
1: Excellent, and so doable. A song in your heart as you start the day, why not? Now, we are going to be exploring the Psalms today in a way that helps us to understand what Psalms are rather than taking them Psalm by Psalm. So the time codes here are a little more general than normal. But they should still help you to navigate if you want to take it section by section. Otherwise, buckle up and we'll talk about it all together. But right before we get started, don't forget that if you're watching the show on YouTube, links from the show and a PDF of all our quotes and graphics, it's located in the description below. We hope that it helps you in your study.
0: Also, please know that there is an audio-only podcast. You can find it by searching for Scripture Gems on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And if you're already subscribed and listening, you might want to check out the video version of the show on YouTube. Search for the Brother Fulmer channel.
1: Yeah. Now, Psalms is a unique book, so I hope that you'll forgive us a little extra time for introduction and background. And with that, let's jump in.
0: Now, our last lesson with Job set the stage for the poetic writing section of the Old Testament. But Job still told a story. If you have come to the book of Psalms expecting to find a story, you will be disappointed. That's not what the book is about.
1: Okay, so what is the
0: book about? It's a hymnal. A big hymnal, make no mistake, but a hymnal nonetheless. It's a collection of lyrics that, for the most part, were set to music for spiritual worship and edification and likely ease of memorization.
1: Okay, but if it's a hymnal, why isn't there any music
0: on it? Excellent question. Musical notation as we recognize it in the Western world today was not developed until the late 1300s AD. The Book of Psalms predates that by over 2000 years, But as we'll discuss, I suspect that there are, in fact, music cues and instructions included whose meanings have been lost to history, but were understood back then.
1: Okay, so it's a 3,000-year-old hymn book. If we can't sing these hymns, then why are we studying them?
0: The texts of these hymns were inspired by the Holy Ghost. Many verses in the Psalms are highly prophetic. As it tells us in the seminary manual, Psalms is the Old Testament book most quoted in the New Testament, for no book of the Old Testament is more Christian in its inner sense or more fully attested as such by the use made of it than the Psalms. Many of the Psalms contain prophetic references to the Savior and allude to events that would take place during the Savior's life.
1: Okay, so how come the Psalms don't read like lyrics? I can read lyrics to a hymn in our hymn book, and it's clearly poetry. It rhymes in everything.
0: Let's keep in mind two things as you study the Psalms. Number one, the Psalms were not written in English. They were written in Hebrew. Poetry is often lost when you translate it to another language. For example, consider these lyrics. With exigency I long all the time for my congenial of all, my Lord. There is no frail cry like unto thine that reconciliation can manage. You'll probably recognize this hymn a lot easier this way. Now the lyrics I just read have the same meaning, but do you see how much is lost in translation? Now the second thing, Hebrew poetry is not Western poetry. The Middle East had its own form of poetry that involved rhythm, which would have been lost in translation, but also weaving a tapestry with ideas. The Hebrews heavily used a poetic form called parallelism, This is taking one phrase or idea and repeating it, but in a different way, sometimes mirroring the order. We'll talk more about that later in the lesson.
1: Okay, so it's a hymn book and scripture, and other scriptures reference it, but what does it really have to do with music? I mean, these psalms probably haven't been sung in thousands of years.
0: Well, that's true. The psalms haven't really influenced music that much since they were written. Oh, wait. I mean, the Psalms have heavily influenced all music for many, many centuries. From the Gregorian chants of the 8th century A.D., to the Renaissance in the the mid-1500s, to the Baroque period in the early 1700s, to the Romantic period in the mid-1800s, to the 20th century, and even in more modern music. They are even still in our modern hymn books.
1: the Psalms have had a major impact. It might be interesting to know that the book of Psalms is divided into five main sections in the Hebrew. Psalms 1 through 41, where most of this week's Come Follow Me lesson readings are from, 42 through 72, 73 through 89, and then 90 through 106, and we'll explore many of those on our next lesson. Then 107 through 150, which will be part of lesson three, each of which ends with an expression of praise. For example, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen from Psalm 41 verse 13. The book of Psalms attributes at least 73 or about half of the Psalms to David and attributes the other Psalms to other authors including Asaph, which you'll find in Psalms 50 and 73 through 83, and Heman, Psalm 88. These attributions, however, appear in titles that are added to some of the Psalms, but it is open to question whether these are as old as the words to which they are attached. You can learn more about this in the Bible Dictionary under Psalms. This means that even though authors are attributed to them, we still don't know for sure if that's really the case. The multiple authors who wrote the Psalms lived at different times, most of them between about 1000 and 500 BC. It's not certain when the book of Psalms was compiled in its current form, but events mentioned in Psalm 137 indicate this process was not completed until after the Jewish exile in Babylon. In Psalm 137, we read, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion, for there they carried us away captive.
0: Nice. My vote's on Ezra. I think he compiled them. Okay. But I don't really know. And there's something else that we have to keep an eye out for when we study the Psalms. You'll come across several unusual words. In most cases, these are Hebrew words that were not translated. Why were they not translated? Well, we're not sure what they mean. These are words like alamoth, Giddith. Maskil, and my personal favorite, Sila. Now, as a musician, I'd like to propose a meaning for Sila, but it should be noted that I submit this with no scholarly backing at all. This is just my opinion, and not a tremendously strong or supported one at that. I believe that Sila is a cue to the instrumentalist to perform an improvised solo for a culturally understood duration. That's how I envision it. But again, We don't really know for sure what it means. Keep an eye out for it. It pops up a lot in between psalms. The Institute Manual has a great list of these words and proposals, more scholarly than mine, of what they might mean. In many cases, the thought is these words might be the name of a tune to which the psalm is sung. This is very similar to the hymn tune listed with each hymn in our modern hymn books.
1: Elder Bruce R. McConkie in his book, The Promised Messiah, and this is also quoted in the Institute Manual, says this, quote, Music is part of the language of the gods. It has been given to man so he can sing praises to the Lord. It is a means of expressing, with poetic words and in melodious tunes, the deep feelings of rejoicing and thanksgiving found in the hearts of those who have testimonies of the Divine Sonship, and who know of the wonders and glories wrought for them by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Music is both in the voice and in the heart. Every true saint finds his heart full of songs of praise to his Maker. Those whose voices can sing forth the praises found in their hearts are twice blessed— be filled with the Spirit, Paul counseled, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Also, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Unfortunately. Not all music is good and edifying. Lucifer uses much that goes by the name of music to lead people to that which does not edify and is not of God. Just as language can be used to bless or curse, so music is a means of singing praises to the Lord or of planting evil thoughts and desires in the minds of men. Of that music which meets the divine standard and has the Lord's approval, he says, My soul delighteth in the song of the heart, yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. In view of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, ought we not to sing praises to his holy name forever? Close quote.
0: And here's an additional thought from the Institute Manual. The Psalms in Hebrew are called tehillim, a word coming from the Hebrew word halal, to praise. The same root forms the word hallelujah, meaning praise to Yah, or Jehovah. Unlike some modern songs that tend to depress the spirit, the Psalms have the power to lift one toward God. The Psalms are a collection of some of the very finest of the world's inspirational literature. Now, since there's no
1: narrative to follow, we'll jump around the Psalms a bit and explore themes and teachings found in them. The first part of our lesson might've seemed a bit academic, but stick with us because we think this will help us better understand the Psalms as we go forward. Before we start in the Psalms, let's take an opportunity to explore some important Hebrew literary styles. You can learn more about them in the Institute Manual, Volume 1, under Enrichment Section G. We'll put a link in the description. This will help not only in the poetic books, but in prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Remember also, like we said, that although we may associate poetry with rhymes, biblically think of it as literary art. How is the author sculpting language to teach or emphasize his message?
0: So let's start with parallelism. We talked about that earlier. This is also sometimes referred to as thought rhythm. Let's take a look at three forms of parallelism. First, in Psalm 1, this is a form of synthetic parallelism. This is building up of a thought with each succeeding line adding to the first. For example, in Psalm 1, verse 3, "...and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water." That bringeth forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper.
1: See how we started with the tree planted by a river. Already we've got an idea. That's a good place for a tree to be. That tree should be in good shape. That's a safe place. And now we'll add to it. Fruit is coming in the next line. Fruit in its season. Oh, that's even better. And leaf shall not wither. So we don't even have a sense like there's a fall or a drought season here. And then capping it all off, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Just keeps building on those positives that it begins with in the first line. So in Psalm 2, let's take a look at an example of synonymous parallelism. And by the way, when we say things like synonymous parallelism, don't shut down. (laughs) (laughs) These words should actually be fun. Synonymous parallelism. Just try saying it. It's fun to say. Mm. Synonymous parallelism. This is simply a repetition of the same thought with equivalent expressions. The first line or stitch reinforcing the second, giving a distich or couplet. So uh, let's throw all that aside and give a modern example, one of my favorites I shared back in Genesis. The strawberry Pop-Tarts are almost gone. The fruit-filled pastries are nearly consumed.
0: It's still so depressing.
1: It really is. But that's the point. I'm emphasizing in my synonymous parallelism that the Pop-Tarts are almost gone. The first line and the second line say the same thing, but using different words to emphasize their importance. We need more (laughs) Pop-Tarts. So let's take a look at an example in Psalm 2, verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. So notice the connection. He that sitteth in the heavens. Who is that? Look at the second line. The Lord. That's what it's referring to. Shall laugh in the first line or in the second line, shall have them in derision. So it's not a happy laugh that we're talking about here. So those two lines, synonymous, parallelism, Mm -hmm. emphasizing the point by saying the same thing using equivalent expressions.
0: One more form that we'll talk about is called antithetic parallelism. This consists of the repetition of a contrasting thought in the second line to accentuate the thought of the first. For this, we're going to take an example from Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek Jehovah shall not want any good thing. So here you can see an example of one thought emphasized, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. That means that they don't have food and are hungry. And then the second line is the antithesis of that. But they that seek Jehovah shall not want any good thing. Not only not want food, but not want anything. Note
1: two, that if these are antithetic, then young lions represent more of an example of worldly power, because the opposite of that is they that seek Jehovah. So those could be fun things to play with as you look at this poetry. Now, there's another literary art that we could take a look at. It's taking parallelism to the next level. It's called chiasmus. It's an inverted parallelism. The Institute Manual quotes a great article from John W. Welch. This is from the 1972 February New Era called Chiasmus in the Book of Mormon, or the Book of Mormon does it again. But his lesson on chiasmus can be really helpful for us. He gives an example of Psalm 3, verses 7 and 8, which reads, translating literally from the Hebrew, Save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheekbone, the teeth of the wicked thou hast broken, to Jehovah the salvation. A careful look at these verses reveals something that at first glance is not altogether obvious. Namely, that the words occur in a peculiar sequence. Everything gets said twice. And in the repetition, everything gets said backwards, back to front, or in a reverse order. Consider what happens when we rewrite these verses by arranging them in the following way. Save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten, all my enemies, on the cheekbone. Now let's reverse it with the next verse. The teeth of the wicked thou hast broken, to Jehovah the salvation. It now becomes quite clear to us that the repetition in these verses is not just a haphazard redundancy. It is an ordered reversal of the original sequence of the psalmist's thoughts. It is also important for us to notice that chiasmus is not just a simple repetition. It also involves an intensification or an aspect of completion in the second half. Compare for example, the more powerful ideas of Psalm three verse eight over three verse seven, the strength of the teeth over the passive nature of the cheekbone or getting broken vis-a-vis getting smitten being wicked instead of just being an enemy, quite consistently, therefore, a shift can be seen to occur at the center of a chiasm, so that the bigger, more powerful, or more intense ideas will appear in the second half of chiastic passages.
0: Another tool that can help us get more out of reading psalms is to see how they are used when quoted in the New Testament, There are numerous examples listed in the Institute Manual entry for psalms. We'll include a link in the description. But let's take a look at a couple in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying,
1: And from the New Testament, Acts chapter 4, verses 25 through 26. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Notice that emphasis. In Psalm 2, verse 2, it says, Against his anointed. Acts makes it clear who the anointed is his Christ.
0: Well, and of course, Christ or the Greek Christos means anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah. And speaking of Messiah, for extra credit, if you'd like to hear these verses set to music, Handel used them for movement 40 of Messiah. We'll include a link in the description. Wonderful. Going on, Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten Thee.
1: Hebrews 5.5 quotes, So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made an high priest, but He that said unto Him, Thou art my Son, today have I begotten Thee. In other words, it clarifies who's speaking here and to whom. God the Father to His Son.
0: In Psalm 8 verse 2, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Matthew
1: 21, 16 quotes, And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Now, as we've talked about, many psalms have been immortalized in song, handles Messiah and other places. For example, Psalm 2, 9. Speaking of what Christ would do to the proud nations of the earth, it says, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel.
0: That's from Movement 43 of Messiah. Thou shalt break them. We'll include a link to that in the description too.
1: These are really fun to listen to. Now look at the imagery in that verse. Thou, Christ, shall break them with a rod of iron. Well, what do we know about the imagery of a rod of iron? The Book of Mormon connects it to the Word of God. How will Christ break the nations? With the Word of God. He will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. How do we imagine a potter's vessel breaking and why does it break? Because it's not the rock upon which we should be built. You see these kind of neat use of dramatic images to help us remember the strength, the cornerstone, the rock on which we should be built, and the power of the word of God to break through worldly creations and worldly philosophies. It's really quite neat. So don't rush through the Psalms. Take a little time and imagine what you can from the imagery. We don't know all the significance of all the imagery, But you might be surprised at how much you discover as you just swim around in it a little bit.
0: And speaking of that, let's take a look at Psalm 9. These are some joyful prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all Thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in Thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. Skipping to verse 9, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And in verse 13, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. So which of these declarations do you share with the psalmist?
1: Yeah, do we find ourselves connected to some of these phrases, some of these declarations of testimony? Now, following his resurrection, Jesus Christ appeared to his apostles and taught, and this is from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 44, Christ taught, All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So which Psalms did he share with the disciples? I'm sure he shared other scriptures, but I find it fascinating. He specifically included the Psalms. So let's take a look at a few. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? and from the words of my roaring. Verse seven, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him.
0: Now I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, but here's another plug for Handel's Messiah. These verses are used in movements 27 and 28. We'll include links in the description.
1: And it's actually movement 28 that first got me connected with the Psalms. I really liked that movement. And I thought, where are these words from? And tracked them down. We didn't have the internet at the time, but tracked them down to this section in Psalms. And it's the first time I realized how the Psalms were so prophetic to the mission and life of Jesus Christ. So back to Psalms 22, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now, can you just imagine for a moment how amazing this would be? They've just watched all of this happen in the life of Jesus Christ. The atoning sacrifices just happened days before. And now he's quoting these from centuries old scripture. And they just saw it being fulfilled. Let's take a look at a few more. Psalm 31, verse 5. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Psalm 34, verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst... They gave me vinegar to drink.
0: But let's read one of the most famous Psalms from start to finish, and look for the literary artistry and powerful Christ centered message. Let's turn to Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me.
1: Look at the beautiful description of Jesus as the shepherd. What part of that description resonates with you? How has he been a shepherd to you? Restoring your soul, leading your path, giving you comfort to fear no evil. Jeffrey R. Holland is quoted in the seminary manual from his book, For Times of Trouble. He says this, quote, We need a shepherd, because in innocence or ignorance, but on occasion willfully and against counsel, we turn everyone to his own way, and as a result, have gone astray. We wander here and scamper there, inspect this and nibble at that, until at some point we look up and realize we are either lost or about to be destroyed. We realize that we or others who affect us have done either something stupid or something wrong, which are so often the same thing. We realize we desperately need help. We are in trouble and frantically look about for our shepherd, our defender, our savior. In ancient days, the only instruments a shepherd carried were a rod and a staff. The rod was a short, stout, club-like weapon used to defend oneself or the flock from an intruder. It was meant to be, and to convey, strength and power in the hand of a strong shepherd who knew how to use it. The staff was a longer, lighter piece, usually with a hook or crook on the end, used for rescuing a stranded sheep. It, more than the rod, is associated in both art and myth with the shepherd and his vigilant watch care. Everything about the staff speaks of safety and care. It is the great scriptural instrument of rescue and redemption. In life, we need defending. And we need rescue. One way or the other, we are vulnerable. Whether it be in threatening confrontations or routine wandering, we are blessed and protected by God's vigilant care. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Quote. As we go on in the psalm, notice that the image of Jesus changes from the shepherd to a host with a feast.
0: Going on in verse 5 Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This particular psalm has gotten a lot of musical attention, and rightly so. My wife's favorite rendition is by a composer named Howard Goodall. Here's a sample. If you'd like to hear the full song, we'll include a link in the description.
1: There is such beautiful imagery found in these songs. Don't get too caught up in language you don't understand. Explore language that you do understand and see if it connects with your testimony, your feelings for Jesus Christ.
0: This is the purpose of the Psalms, to draw you to God, particularly to Jesus Christ, your savior. Ask yourself as you study, How is the author trying to bring me to Christ? Well, we'll continue to talk about the Psalms more in the next couple of lessons. Keep reading your scriptures, and we'll talk to you more about them in our next lesson. We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints,
1: but we're really big fans.